one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't shirk away from the difficult issues. It deals with them head on. And it just says, this is the truth about this situation. Uh, preachers are occasionally prone to uh, finding very obscure parts of the Bible to teach a particular lesson, when actually there's a glaringly obvious one they could have used. I'm avoiding uh, that temptation this morning. We're going to go to the glaringly obvious one. Because the Apostle Paul teaches us that there are specific words of comfort that we can give to one another at times such as this. So let's look at those words and consider them together. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find there, for times such as this, words to comfort. So let's look at them and consider them. Now let me begin by asking a question. Do you believe that the words in the Bible do actually fulfil the purpose for which they were given? Now I readily admit that in certain parts of the Bible, the purpose for which those words were given is not always immediately obvious or straightforward. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult. But God has very graciously provided portions in his word where he specifically tells us exactly what that passage is intended to do and why it's there. So, for example, as you're reading through uh, the Gospel of John, just before you get to the end of it, John uses the phrase, these things are written that. And he actually tells you why he's written this is the purpose of my writing. And we're left in no doubt whatsoever. It couldn't be stated more clearly. This is the purpose of the things I'm writing to you. Which, of course, in John's case with his gospel, is to bring people to a saving knowledge, belief, life and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul in a similar way, frequently, as many of you know, uses the word therefore. And he does that in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what he means by that word is that the words that he's just been using should now have this practical application in your life. This is the purpose of the words I've just given you. Now, as I said, in the Thessalonian church, there were Christians for whom the death of other Christians, the death of other church members, was proving to be a real struggle. And right now, we know something of those struggles too, don't we? And Paul doesn't evade the issue. He doesn't try to pretend it isn't an issue. And neither should we. Paul addresses the issue. That's what I'm going to do this morning through the word of God. We're desperately sad. Of course we are. 
hurts. Of course it does. And nowhere does the Bible suggest that we ought not to feel sadness. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that it ought not to hurt. We are no more immune to these things than even Jesus was, you know. On one occasion, Jesus saw a funeral procession as a poor elderly widow with her only son about to bury him. Now, what did he say? Come, come now, no need for all this wailing. Stiff up a lip. No. He was moved with compassion. He felt. You can be certain that Christ is no less moved with compassion over your grief this morning. He loves you. There's a well-worn Sunday school quiz question about the shortest verse in the Bible. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. And why was he weeping? Because he'd just been taken to see where his good friend Lazarus had been buried. And he wept. Why wouldn't he? And the reaction of those who were watching? Look at how much he loved him. Jesus knew what it was to weep and hurt. And the Apostle Paul knows that the sadness and the hurting is real. And he's not going to suggest either to the Thessalonian church or to our church that there is a way that a Christian not be sad or not hurt. But he does say that there is comfort for us in our sadness. And there is comfort for us when we're hurting. So I want to make verse 18 the starting point this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Therefore, says the apostle, comfort one another with these words. I want to begin by breaking that little phrase down. Therefore, therefore, a word which indicates that this little phrase in verse 18 is based upon and follows up from and is the application of the things that have just gone before. So we'll be looking back to that shortly from verse 13 through to verse 17. Because the therefore is based upon those verses and those great truths that he's just been reminding those Christians about. But the thing to grasp is that this verse 18 is the practical application and outworking of certain truths that he's been talking about. The comfort that we need comes from truth. True things about the state of a Christian in Christ. True things about that which God is going to do at some point known to him in the future. It's these things upon which our comfort is based. Not the airy-fairy 
unchangeable, temporary things of the world, grounded on truth, enduring, unfailing truth. That is the source of the comfort that Paul is going to give to these Christians and that we can get from it today. The comfort is based upon truth. And it is comfort. Now, some translations and some commentators prefer the word encourage. If you've got an NIV or an ESV, uses the word encourage. Now, the literal meaning of the Greek word is to call near. To call near. It's closely related to the word that's used in John chapter 14 to describe the Holy Spirit as the comforter or as some translations put it, the advocate. Some of you will be familiar with the Greek word, the paraclete. The idea is of one who draws alongside. Just when you need them, there they are. To comfort, to encourage. They draw alongside you and they share in it with you. And they take you with them. So when it comes to the death of Christian believers, there is something and it draws alongside and it comforts and it encourages. And outside of the Bible and the things of God, you you don't have this. The world doesn't have it. But we do as God's people. For many people, the loss of a loved one means not just grief and sorrow, but flooding in on top of all that comes a sense of utter despair and hopelessness. And their sorrows are just multiplied. Now, the Christian still experiences the same grief and sorrow but we have something that brings comfort and encouragement and the griefs and the sorrows are softened. For those without Christ, the despair and the hopelessness which are added on top of the grief and sorrow are, as it were, like rubbing salt into the wound. They only make it worse. But for the Christian, there is an ointment to bring relief and healing in grief and sorrow. Comfort one another. Isn't that good news? There is relief and there is healing in the grief and in the sorrow. And we are to comfort one another. This comfort is to be a corporate thing. Everybody has a part to play. We are to minister this comfort to one another. We need each other. We are to draw alongside each other. This is really practical. You can do this today. This is really practical. Comfort one another. Draw alongside. And you know, I've actually seen this happen. It's sometimes the case that those who are grieving the most are remarkably those who can draw alongside and bring the most comfort to others. 
I've seen it with my own eyes. I saw it many years ago when we buried a 17-year-old girl from our youth group who died of leukemia. And I watched as her father went round the church and people got more comfort from him <coughs> than they were giving to anyone else. Because that's what this can do. Comfort one another. But how? With these words. With these words. Verses 13 to 17. With those words. Now we're going to turn to those words in a moment. But here's the thing you see. Those words which God has inspired the apostle to write down are given for this specific purpose, for you to use to comfort one another. Which brings me back to my original question. Do you believe that the words in the Bible do actually fulfill the purpose for which they were given. Comfort one another with these words. Would you comfort one another today? I'm sure you would. And in the days ahead? These words are the words you need to use because these are the words that God has given for that specific purpose. He actually says so. And you need to have that kind of confidence in the Bible. Now, they may not be the kinds of words that you'll hear outside of these four walls, but these are the right words to use. They may not be the kinds of words that you would find yourself naturally using, but these are the words to use. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. Use these words and it will bring comfort because this is the truth that you need to hear at a time like this. Well, what do these words in verses 13 to 17 actually have to say? What do they tell us? Well, let me break it down just into three simple points. And here's the first. But do take careful note from the, from the beginning of verse 15. These words are the very word of God. These are the words that are from the Lord. This is not just the advice of Paul. This is God's word. Number one, though. These verses tell us that death is like sleep. Because Paul uses the word sleep to speak of death. He describes Christians who've died as having fallen asleep. Their earthly body has perished, but their soul lives on and goes to be with Christ. And we are to view it in the same way that we view sleep. Now, when we go into sleep, it's only temporary, and then we wake up. Because we haven't died when we go to sleep, we're just asleep. 
but we're going to wake up again. And if you've slept well, you will awake refreshed and in a better condition than you were before you went to sleep. Likewise, we who die in Christ are moving on to something better. Now, this idea of death being like sleep, some have mistaken this completely and they've taken this idea as of falling asleep that when you die at death, the soul goes into some kind of unconscious soul sleep so that the person who's died, that even in their soul, they, they just, well, they're just out of it somewhere, somehow. It's like being completely unconscious and, and they're not aware of anything that's going on until the second coming of Christ. Well, we know this is not true and that cannot be what Paul means because he himself said when we die, we are said to be absent from the body and present with the Lord and we know that we are with the Lord. And Jesus was able to promise the dying thief that today you will be with me in paradise. You'll know where you are. You'll experience it for yourself. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five that whoever believes in him, though he may die, he shall live. So we're not going to go into some kind of unconscious state. That's not what Paul's talking about. <clears throat> I quoted from a verse before about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. Now, it's interesting because it's often only the second half of that verse that ever gets quoted, just that little bit, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But if you read the whole verse, you'll discover there's a deeper message there. And it's much broader than that. Paul says this, we are confident. Yes, well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Well, that sheds a whole different light on the verse. We'd rather be absent from the body. Why, Paul? Because I know it means I'll be present with Christ. So you can forget the idea of soul sleep. You're going to be with Christ. <clears throat> How tight is your grip on this world? compared with your grip on the next one. The Apostle Paul had a very, very light grip on this world and a really strong grip on the next one. And he's saying, I'm ready to let go of this one anytime because I've got this. Is that your testimony this morning? You see, that's... That's why we don't despair when we think of Chris. Because we know what he had tight hold of. We know where he is, don't we? Paul is so confident of what lies beyond death. He'd, he'd rather be there because he knows what's coming. How many of us 
are tempted to say that we'd rather stay here. How many of us live our lives in such a way that it gives the impression we'd rather stay here? But here's our comfort, you see, this morning. We know where Chris has gone. And as I wrote the other day, his voice has been added to that great multitude of the saints who worship the Father and the Lamb before the throne. And he's there. And we can smile in our tears. And we can rejoice in our tears. And we can give thanks in our tears because of our assurance of the gospel of Christ. The idea of sleep, really, you see, the idea of sleep is given to those of us who are left behind. Don't be afraid. Don't despair. The situation is not hopeless. Think of them as being asleep. Because sleep is something you come out of. There's something else that follows. And it's glorious. That's the first point. Second, from the end of verse 13, you will sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. You will sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. Now we know with absolute assurance and confidence that Jesus died and rose again. And if we believe that, then we can be equally confident that on the day that he returns, this passage teaches us he will bring with him those who are asleep. Note that's said in verse 14. God will bring them with him. Why? Because that's where they have been. With him. This then, you see, is the truth which lies at the heart of the comfort that's found in these verses. When a Christian dies, they go to be with Christ. That's at the heart of this comfort. When the Christian dies, they're with Christ. Catherine Tate can teach us a great lesson on this point. But it's not the Catherine Tate from the telly that some of you are thinking about. The Tate is spelt differently for one thing. This Catherine Tate was married to Archibald Tate for another. And he was the Archbishop of Canterbury from 1868 to 1882. Different Catherine Tate. What can she teach us? Archibald and Catherine Tate lost five daughters in infancy. Five. And every day, almost every day, Catherine Tate would pray this prayer. Listen. Lord, thou hast let thy little ones depart in peace. Lord Jesus, thou hast received their spirits and hast, op hast opened unto them the gate of everlasting glory. Thy loving spirit leads them forth in the land of righteousness, into thy holy hill, into thy heavenly kingdom. 
thou didst send thy angels to meet them and to carry them into Abraham's bosom. Thou hast placed them in the habitation of light and peace, of joy and gladness. Thou hast received them into the arms of thy mercy and given them an inheritance with the saints in light. There they reign with thy elect angels and thy blessed saints departed, thy holy prophets and glorious apostles in all joy, glory and blessedness forever and ever. How does a mother cope with the loss of five infants? Being able to pray like that. Words to comfort in the face of death. Words which work in the face of death. And on that great and final day when Christ does return in verses 16 and 17, those Christians who are still alive on the earth will have no advantage or benefit over those um, who have died. In fact, as we've already seen in verse 14, those who've already died will return with him and they first will receive that bodily resurrection which is promised for us all, which is being likened to being awakened from their sleep and then to be joined in the air with those who are still alive on the earth when Christ returns. That's in verse 17. And a great reunion and a great gathering together of all of the redeemed is to take place. What a day that is. What a day that is for us to look forward to. When all of Christ's elect ones are all gathered together at the return of him who loved us and gave himself for us. And there we will all be. Verse 17, always with the Lord. This is the comfort that we have. With the reality of eternity opening out before us, our loved ones who die in Christ are to us as being asleep, but soon to be woken again by the trumpet which signals the return of Christ. And even now, they're in that sinless and glorious presence of Christ. This is the certain hope that we have, which comforts our souls and brings us the encouragement that we need. And this is the reality of all that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Final point. There are four words in this little passage which are absolutely crucial. Two of them are in verse 14 and two of them are in verse 16. In Jesus, in Christ. Now that's crucial. In Jesus Christ. You see, those who have no hope who are spoken about at the start of that little section. Those who have no hope are those who, when they die, are not in Jesus Christ. That's when there's no hope. We have comfort and encouragement today 
and in the days ahead. Why? Because we know that Chris was and is and forever will be in Christ Jesus. Forever. And because he's in Christ, we know he's with Christ. And because he's in Christ, we know he'll be with Christ when Christ returns. And Chris will receive all the joys and blessings of that great day, which includes our being reunited with him and with all the saints who've gone before us. Now, as we allow these words to comfort us and bring us encouragement, let me just ask you, are you in Christ Jesus? Do you have this hope? Do your loved ones have this hope that you are in Christ? Will you not come to him? As you are in all your sin, just confess before him your great need of salvation and forgiveness. Repent of your sins and trust in his redeeming work through his death on the cross and rising again from the grave. Will you not trust him that you might be in him? That you have this assurance of comfort for your own soul also you see of all the things that we talk about as a church about the gospel it's right here at times like this where it all actually comes to life this is what it's all about knowing where we will be in eternity knowing where we go the far side of the grave because if you're in Christ everything is certain Everything is assured because of everything that Christ has accomplished on your behalf. And if you will trust in this same Lord Jesus Christ, then you too will be in him. You too will find this comfort in the face of death. For the Christian believer and for the follower of Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting has gone. Hades, where is your victory? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our comfort. He is our comfort and our hope. Today, during this week, in the days that lie before us, comfort one another with these words. May God help us and be with us